Let's pray. God, we are mindful even this morning that we come to meet with you. We come because we've desired to, to be with you. We come to worship you. We want to hear from you, God. We need to hear from you this morning. So we ask for your favor on this time, for your blessing on this time. Holy Spirit, that you would work among us, that you would change us, that you would make us more like you. Let every word that is spoken be pleasing to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. That's great. Love kids. You probably hear mine in the back all the time. Uh, well, this, it's been a couple weeks since the new year. And uh, I was thinking a little bit of this later this week as I knew that Sunday was coming and th- just thinking about New Year, thinking about resolutions a little bit. And how many of you made some sort of resolution or goal for this coming year? Just throw your hand up. Okay, a handful of you. Just thinking about resolutions and what are things that we resolve to do. Um, and uh, thinking that many of our resolutions often come in perspective of like people. And so we resolve to, in some way, just be more kind and loving. Maybe it's just really general. Just want to be more thankful this year, that kind of thing. Uh, For some of us, it's more pleasing to specific people. Like, this year, I really want to please my spouse, or I really want to please my parents. I really want to please my teacher. I really want to please my boss and find favor with my boss this year. That way, there's some some blessing or some benefit that, that I'll be able to receive. And sometimes it comes from a desire to to accomplish something, and so I resolve to, to accomplish this task that I haven't ever been able to do, but this year is going to be the year. Or I'm going to run that race, I'm going to do that marathon, I've always wanted to, and this is going to be the year, and I'm resolving to train for that, and to go and to do that. For some of us, it might be maybe making a purchase, and so I'm resolving this year to save extra money, so that we can make that purchase, we can buy that house, we can take that trip we've always wanted to take. I was looking through some stats, and pretty shocking, the statistics, at least in America, on resolutions, that they say that, I think it was around like 50% of people make some sort of resolve for the year, and only 8% actually see that come to pass. So it's super low, and we get really zealous and pumped up at the beginning of the year for something that we want to be able to do, a goal that we have, but then days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months. And we just lose our zeal to continue. And um, so thinking about resolve spiritually, what, what can we do this year? And what if I said there's one thing, well, there's, there's multiple things, but there's one specific thing that will bring you into deeper intimacy with God this year. There's one thing that you can do that will begin to stir in your heart a greater affection for Him, a greater desire to be with Him. And there's one thing that you can do that will actually, God will, in favor, increase knowledge of who he is and knowledge of his will for you. And I think the Apostle Paul was, was onto this. He saw this. And so there's a couple texts that I want to just start with that, that show us Paul's aim, Paul's resolve in life and what he's, what he's set out to do. 
And so just listen to these. The first one's in 2 Corinthians, and the second one is in 2 Timothy. And uh, the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul begins the chapter talking about uh, how God is making an eternal dwelling place for us when we die. As his children, if we're his children, he's making an eternal dwelling place for us. And he says, whether I'm at home with the Lord or I'm away and I'm at home in my body, he's kind of talking about that comparison, being with God or being here on earth. He says, I'd rather be in, in, at home with the Lord than in my body. But whether we're at home or away, it doesn't matter. We make our aim to please Him. And he says, we make, our, we make our aim to please Him because we will be accountable for all of our works done in our body when we stand before Him. And the, second section, the second portion of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, a, a child, a son in the faith. And he says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. No soldier get, is so focused on the affairs of everyday life because he makes it his aim to please the one who enlisted him. The desire of the soldier is not to, is not to wor- worry about the things around him necessarily, but to, to please the one who enlisted him. And as children of God, that's what we are. We are soldiers of God. And so we, we too can aim to please God and not worry about all the things of everyday life, all the affairs of everyday life, but rather worry about what is pleasing to our Father, what is pleasing to the one who enlisted us, who's made us his children. And so Paul chose to fix his eyes on something greater. He chose to fix his eyes on something that was going to be even better than what he's known. He's not looking for a temporary satisfaction. Paul's aim above all things Above all other pursuits, above, above all pleasing of people, Paul's aim is to please his heavenly Father. And so his aim, he puts in his sights to live in a way that's pleasing to God with every action that he does, with every word that he speaks, with every thought that enters his mind. His aim is to please his Father. This vision of Paul lies in very stark contrast to really all the perspectives and all the worldviews of our culture, of our world. And there's one particular worldview that's gaining a little bit more popularity, at least in, in understanding, a little bit more interest. People are looking into it a little bit more. And it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a little bit long, but it, it's more prominent in the younger generations. And, and I, I don't think it's separate. Generations aren't separate from each other. Often there's a sea that's that's within older generations, that's kind of birthed within younger generations, and the fruit of that comes forth. And so we just see it's just a little bit more visible. But moralistic, therapeutic deism, there's an article I read by Christian Smith. It was specifically geared toward younger, younger students, uh, teenage um, age. And uh, it's really founded on three pieces. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralism. It believes that living a morally pure life will, some, will help someone live a good and happy life. They equate morals with good and happy living. And so if I'm more moral, if, I'm, if I do better things, life's just going to be better. Therapeutic. It's, about, it's all about feeling good. Feeling happy, secure, and at peace. And deism, deistic. There is a God out there. Somehow he's involved. He created things, but he's rather uninvolved in my life. 
And so here's five beliefs that this generation, younger generations have, many have, not all, obviously. Number one, God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. He's there. He made it all. He's just kind of removed from it. He's just kind of watching it all unfold. He enters if he needs to, but other than that, he doesn't. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. It's just about being morally good. We just want to, we just want to be kind to each other. We just want to love each other and it all be good. World peace. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And we see that. All the decisions you make, it's just about what I'm going to feel best with. There's a, I don't know if some of you remember this, um, I was involved in young people's lives. It was really big a couple years ago. It was a saying. It, they would say YOLO, Y-O-L-O. Anyone remember that? If you guys were teenagers, yeah, it was YOLO everything. And it means you only live once. So you can understand what that bird's. I'm going to take all my graduation money and I'm going to go spend it on pop and candy and gum so my teeth can rot out. YOLO, right? Or I'm going to take all my savings and I'm going to go to Florida for a month. Who cares? I only live once. I'm just going to live life to the fullest. Brings you to make some radical decisions without thinking ahead. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. God, I come to you and I have a need. When I don't have a need, I just sort of do whatever I want to do. You're not really present. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. So this is the perspective of many in our culture, obviously in young people, but also in older people. Many of you probably have friends that you can see how the way that they're living is matching with some of these things. So what is it that the Apostle Paul saw? What is, the, what is it that the Apostle Paul believed about God that gave him such a such a different vision. It wasn't all about self-benefit, but in fact, he could say, my aim is to please God. That's my desire. What is it that Paul saw? And I'm convinced that what Paul saw, what Paul remembered was who he was before Jesus changed his life. Paul was a very proud man. He was looking for, he was looking for people to, to honor him, to give him glory and praise talks about it in Romans chapter 7 about covetousness and the desire that he had the law burdened him a desire to be more coveted and to covet other people and to cover the glory that they're seeking and the praise that they're seeking and so in his pride Paul through his accomplishments it talks about how Paul was rising above all his peers in Judaism he was moving faster through up to up to higher levels of Judaism than anyone else around him than any of his peers so through his accomplishments, people are honoring him and giving him praise. Through self-denial, through fasting and external things, through religious action and religious duty. Wow, look at him, man, he is great. And Paul, through what appeared to be religious perfection, was just being praised and was being worshipped by people. And so Paul remembered who he was. And then when Jesus came and changed his life, when he called him, Nothing according to what Paul had had done, but when Jesus called him, that's what he remembers. So right now, there's a couple portions of Scripture. I just want to read, just let this wash over you. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the favor of God through what Jesus has done on humanity and on those who would receive it. So just listen to these texts. Uh, Titus 3, 3 through 5. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, grace is God's unmerited favor. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul knew that he couldn't buy favor with God. But he also knew the one who bought favor for him by the precious blood that he spilt on the cross. Paul knew that there was no sufficient sacrifice that he could make that would give him favor with God. But he knew the one who came and sacrificed his perfect life for him, in his place, for us. Paul knew that there was nothing he could do to earn God's favor but he also knew the one who had earned it completely and fully through his obedience and suffering. Paul knew that God's favor was freely given because of what his son Jesus did in his sacrifice and in his death in our place and for us. That's what Paul remembered. And this is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus has done. We have nothing to bring to the table. Nothing. But if we stop there, we miss a more full picture of the gospel and of what what the kingdom of God is all about. What he does in changing people's lives, we miss it. If we just stay there, then it's understandable how we can get to this place where, well, I experienced God once, and he did this thing in my life. Well, that's what the Bible says. And... But now, I'm just kind of, he's just really uninvolved in my life. I don't really see him. You can see how if we stop there, and if we don't continue to remember that, we don't continue to grow in that, then we can move into this place of moralistic, therapeutic deism. God did something once, but other than that, you know, I haven't even heard from him since. So if we need to grow up in this, if we need to grow up into greater maturity, into greater understanding, then where do we go from here? Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about how we all, the the purpose of the church and what what God is doing in the lives of believers, individual believers and as a whole, he says this, the goal is that we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying is as believers... What God is doing is he's uniting us in faith in the Son of God and he's growing us up into maturity, into our head, into Jesus. That's what he's doing. So it's about growing up in this, not about staying where we were. And so Paul realized this. When he came to realize this, what it produced in Paul and what it produces in the lives of believers 
is such a, is such a thankfulness for what God has done, what He saved us from, as we remember that. That He can come to this place, we also can come to this place where we say, there is one thing I want to say. Because of what God has done for me, my aim is to please you, God. That's my only aim, that's my only desire. It's to be a fully obedient and fully surrendered to you. And he, Paul knew that because of what God had done, his only right response was total and complete surrender. His only right response because of what God has done was total obedience to Jesus, to every command of Jesus, to all the commands of the scriptures. Because of what God has done, the only right response is to say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Lead me and I will follow you. So turn with me, Colossians. We're going to spend a little time in Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little backdrop into how Paul is starting. Paul is starting by giving praise and thanks to God. Because Paul and others had heard about what the Holy Spirit and what, what the believers in Colossae, that, that, that he, he heard and they heard that those believers had received the truth of the gospel. They received the good news of Jesus and placed faith in him. They had heard about how they were loving one another. And Paul and others had heard about how they had set their hope fully on the the return of Jesus. That's where all our hope is lying. And so he starts in verse 9. Colossians 1 verse 9. And he says, And so from the day we heard We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying and asking God, bring greater knowledge and revelation of who you are and of your will for this church in Colossae, give them all spiritual wisdom and understanding of how to take that. Understanding in the Greek is, is the, this concept of taking all these pieces and putting together them in your mind mentally. And so taking all knowledge of who God is and of His will, putting them together so that, what? So that they might live and walk fully pleasing to God, that they might live and walk in worthy. They might live and walk worthy of the calling, worthy of what God has done in their life, they might walk worthy of the Lord. Paul is asking God that give them knowledge of who you are and of your will and give them wisdom and understanding on how to live that out so that they might be obedient. That's what he's asking for. Obedience in the scriptures, as we look at, really has three pieces. The first is that you must hear. The second is that you must understand. And the third is that you must act. So if we don't hear, then we can't understand and we won't act. And if we hear, but we don't understand, we also, we don't know what to do. We won't, we won't do anything. And if we hear and we understand, but we choose not to do it, we also don't have obedience. And so we have to have all three of those. They're not separate. They're all together. We need to hear, we need to understand, and we need to act upon what we hear and what we understand. And so this is what Paul's talking about. Uh, in verse 7 and 8, Paul speaks about in Colossians about how Epaphras came and how he delivered the gospel and how he brought that to them and how the people received it. Remember, they heard heard and they believed. And so he says this, he's asking 
God, increase, fill them with greater knowledge of who you are and of your will for their life. Let them hear that. Let them know that through the scriptures, through your Holy Spirit. The word knowledge means to just, just to be acquainted with, to be fully acquainted with or to acknowledge. And so he says that, and then he says, but don't only just give them knowledge, but give them all spiritual wisdom and understanding of how to take that, how to put it all together, and then what to do. Help them understand what to do with that. And, that, and then lastly, let them walk in a manner worthy of you, Lord. Give them knowledge and and give them understanding and wisdom so that they might walk, so that they might act. That third part, the last step that completes obedience. Worthy, worthy of the Lord, to walk worthy of the Lord, actually has a comparison to godliness. And so it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner in comparison to God. And here's a text in 1 Peter that gives, shed some light on this for us. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient sons and daughters, don't go back to what you used to know. Don't go back to what you lived like. But rather, as he who has called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. God says this, you shall be holy because I am holy. And so as God is holy and set apart, he calls children, he calls people to also live holy and set apart lives unto him. And as we think about obedience, there's, there, obedience saturates scripture. There's lots and lots of examples. And as you, as you go into scripture and you begin to read, looking at obedience and action in accord with what we believe to be true about God, it's everywhere. It permeates through all of scripture. And this is what Paul was doing as he was remembering the gospel. He was, he was reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures and seeing how God is calling him to move and to act. And the same with us. As we spend time in the scriptures, as we read, as we let this be our bread, even as God's word says, we don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, that is our sustenance. That is what fills us every day for movement and for action. As we do that, the Holy Spirit will teach and he too will bring us to remember the gospel and what God has saved us from. He will show us truth. He will show us how to live that way. And then he will empower us by the Holy Spirit to do that. Just as Jesus did, living perfectly surrendered in obedience to the Father. So Hebrews 5, here's an example about the life of Jesus. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. This is Jesus in the garden right before he's going to the cross, praying, praying and crying. God, is there another way? Let there be another way. If there's not, I will walk in it. I will be fully surrendered and obedient to you. And it says this, continues in Hebrews, although he was a son, the son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obedience again. Jesus obeyed so that he could perfectly, being made perfect wasn't meaning that Jesus needed to become more perfect. It was talking about maturity and completeness. And through his, through his sacrifice on the cross, that brought completeness to salvation to be one for all. For all who what? Obey 
for all who obey and believe and obey. So here we go. There's three things. If we want to obey God, what are some commands? How should we live? The first, believe in the Son. It's a command of God. Believe in the Son. Jesus the King. Believe. 1 John 3, 2, excuse me, 1 John 3, 23. And this is the commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that we love one another just as He has commanded us. That we believe and that we love. That's a command of God. Let's walk in obedience in that. And also, biblically, there's such a close connection between obedience and belief that they're really not even separated. We kind of separate them sometimes in our minds. They're really just one. They have to go hand in hand. And here's an example of that. John 3, 35 through 36. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. So we can see this such close connection between belief and obedience. So the command, believe in the Son. Believe in Jesus and walk in obedience. The second is growing up. We need to grow up in maturity. We need to take what we know of God to be true and we need to, we need to understand and have wisdom from the Holy Spirit and truth in that, and, excuse me, and grow up in maturity in that. So there's a text in Hebrews as we continue on Paul is talking to the, to the church and he's like, you guys need to grow up into greater maturity. He says this, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since we have become dull of hearing, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk again and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. And later, Paul says, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, go on to greater things. He's not saying, let's forsake the gospel and what Jesus has done. He's saying, let us add, let us go above and beyond that. Yes, this happened. Yes, Jesus has freed us. And now let's grow in that. Let's grow up in that truth and that, in that understanding. And so, an application for us. Again, going back to the Word. We need to have the Word of God. We need to have the Word of God saturating and transforming our minds. Renewing our minds and our thoughts. We need to know who God is. And through that, that we might have greater understanding and wisdom through the Holy Spirit. He teaches us how we can apply it. And then we need to act that. We need to go out and we need to do that. And so that's that last step. We need to complete three obedience. Hear, understand, and act. We need to bring obedience to full completion by our willful intention and action. James 2.20. James is, is saying, you, how foolish are you to think that you can have faith and not have works that go in accord with them. You are foolish to believe that. Later he says, faith works alongside our action. He says, in fact, faith is completed by our action. We never have full faith until we step forward into it. We can always, you guys have this experience in life. You thought you believed something of God to be true. You thought you had faith. And then God moved you into this place where all of a sudden you're like, I don't know if I can step forward into that. I don't know if I really believe that God is there. And so our, our, by our action, our faith is completed. It's made perfect. It's made mature. So in essence, 
real faith must produce real action. Without it, we don't really believe, but rather we deceive ourselves that we believe. We think we believe, but we don't really believe until we actually move forward. Back to our text in Colossians, verse 10. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. I'm going to please you, God, by the way that we live. And then it says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruit produced obedience. Fruit produces, excuse me, the fruit that is produced in our obedience is two things. We bear fruit in our works, in our good works, and we increase in the knowledge of God. So it's kind of like this. I was thinking about, okay, how do I grow up into maturity? How does this happen? And I thought about it kind of on this linear line. Like, if I can have more knowledge of God, then I'll, I'll just, obedience will just come with. It'll just come right with me as I go. So I'm just increasing on this linear plane of knowledge. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. God, show me more, show me more, show me more. And I'll just, I'll obey as I go. But the reality is, it's not how it works. God gives knowledge. And then the response is obedience. Obedience brings forth good works. And then what does it say in the text? And we will increase in the knowledge of God. God will grant more knowledge. And as we walk in obedience, we'll produce fruit. And then he'll give us more knowledge and understanding. And as we have that knowledge and understanding, we walk in obedience, we produce more fruit. And then we'll have more knowledge and understanding. You see this? If you guys have experienced this, you step forward in obedience. I don't know if this is you, God, but I'm going to do this. Or here's a command in Scripture. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. Step forward, and all of a sudden, God begins to show you things you've never seen. So it's more like this. Rather than a linear line of gain, knowledge, and obedience will follow, it's more like this cyclical cycle of, of movement forwards and upwards. So I receive knowledge. I walk in obedience. I have fruit in life. We produce fruit, and we keep going like this. And so, okay, I want to obey God. Maybe that's what you're saying. Where do I begin? How do I, do, how do I start doing this? I used to live this way. If I can just learn everything in here, I'm just going to be like a hyper-Christian. But what God, a grace that God brought me into that I'm so thankful for is when I open the scriptures to pray, God, will you show me Today, I want to walk in obedience to you. I don't want to just have more knowledge so I can put it in my pocket. What does the word say about that? Knowledge puffs up. In my experience, knowledge of God without practical application brought judgment and condemnation by the way that I lived and the people around me. Because I could, oh, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. But I hadn't walked in their shoes. I hadn't lived with them. Not that it was wrong to say that. But I didn't, I didn't walk in obedience. I didn't walk in love. I didn't walk as God had called me to. I just had knowledge of it. And so open the word and pray, God, show me today how I can walk in obedience to you. And then start reading. And as he opens the word to you, write it down. Take a journal or something and just start writing it down. Thank you, God, for showing me this. I've never seen this before. Show me more. And then pray, God, how can I walk in obedience to this truth that you have shown me today. And maybe it's like, I, there's nothing new here. Okay, 
maybe there's nothing new because God isn't showing you anything new because you're not walking in obedience to what he's already shown you. So, okay, what have I seen before? Let me write that down. Let me start there. God, how can I live this today? Help me to live this. And then as you live, okay, Lord, give me opportunity to show me. How can I live this out practically today? I want to honor you today. I want to walk in obedience. I want to please you today. God is not waiting for you to mess up. As a child of his, you already have his favor, right? And he gives the Holy Spirit who's what? Our helper. So yeah, we can't do it. We need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Help me. Help me to walk in obedience today to your word. So as you think about New Year's resolutions and you think about resolving to something, good news is it's the what? It's the 10th today? You don't have to wait till December to make a New Year's resolution again for 2017. You can start. You didn't miss it. You can make a resolve today. Today, God, I want to walk fully pleasing to you in all obedience because I remember what you've done for me. And I've meditated on what you've done for me. And so today, let us resolve to walk in full surrender and full obedience because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for how, I, how you teach us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you illuminate our minds to understand what we read and what is spoken. And we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding and how to put that all together and how to live that out so that we might live in a way that is fully pleasing, fully honoring, fully submitted, fully obedient to you and to your spirit in us. Empower my brothers and sisters to go out with the gospel, with the truth of the word, of what you have done for us, Jesus. And use us to bear good fruit in all of our works and teach us more of who you are. We bless you today. Amen.